Hello and welcome to episode 263 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for Sukal Mysteriously Affected Relativistic Travel Speeds. Relativistic. Wow. Very good. Very, very good. Um, continue with the intro. Go ahead. My name is Rudiger Q Podcaster, aka Trevor, and your name is? Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so we only have one bit of news this week. Okay. And that is that apparently... Um, Warner Brothers must be happy with the performance of Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters and on HBO Max because they have apparently fast-tracked the next movie uh, with Patty Jenkins still attached, of course. Um, there was some there was some trepidation or some hesitance uh, just before Wonder Woman 1984 came out. Patty Jenkins was like, yeah, you know, no, I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to do the third one because I do have other stuff I want to do. And like... If it's if it's going to be a thing where like if theaters aren't around anymore, then I'm really you know I really enjoy making movies for the theatrical experience. So maybe I wouldn't want to do a third Wonder Woman movie if people couldn't see it on like a nice big screen and so on. But based on this, it seems like they've got you know th- there's a contract and so on. Like it certainly seems like it's going to happen and soon. So I would imagine this would happen before she does the Rogue Squadron movie mm-hmm. for Disney. Yeah. I would imagine because that's supposed to be three or four years out. Yep. Um, but I guess maybe not. Who knows? I mean, DC's got a lot of other movies in the pipeline for the next couple of years, but I know that they've said that they want to put out three or four a year in theaters at least, and that's not counting HBO Max. So, mm-hmm. so who knows? But that's good news. Yeah. I think there was a little bit of, um, people were kind of wondering about it because although the initial reviews from Wonder Woman 84 were very good, later reviews, like the, the, all the, the aggregate scores kind of dropped like it seemed like people that came to it later or after people had more time to think about it they didn't like it as much i really liked it i know that you did too yeah very um, much yeah but people seemed like they had the more they thought about it the more, the more problems they had with it so mm. there, it wasn't as universally well received as the first one was right so there was always the chance that warners would get skittish and be like oh let's let's not do it let's wait to do the third one or let's go in a different direction with it let's get a different director or something but it seems like they are at least happy enough with how it did critically and commercially to sort of let her finish off the story in her own way which i feel like is i I probably the good way to do it i love it yeah i'm very happy about that so should we move on to our comics of the week Yes, I'm ready. What was your comic of the week? I can't remember. I guess I'm not that ready. It was DC's Very Merry Multiverse. That's right. Special. <laughs> Which, for <laughs> for for all intents and purposes, actually is my comic of the week three weeks ago. But we didn't read it until this week. So that's my only disclaimer. Um, we were enjoying our holidays and we actually saved it to read around the holidays. So um, I just really loved all the stories. Specifically, my favorite one. I know this is silly, but it's Lobos. It's Lobos of Very Merry Hanukkah or whatever his story was. That was one of my lesser I liked it. It was just curb stomping fun. And not only that, but it had a little bit of heart in it because he kept calling. You keep it subverted my expectations, at least, because um, I in at the end there, because he was saying that there's this there's this particular planet that he really likes the fish there. And the the Dominion and the Dominators are taking over that part of the galaxy and subjugating the 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 right races there and also deliberately uh, trimming trimming the fat, as it were, by uh, taking all the non-essential, as they quote unquote de- deem them to be, non-essential species, and just eradicating them. There's no need to waste resources on those lesser beings. And the fishes that uh, Lobo was protecting were among that list of just being left alone to fend for itself or die. Um, 
by the dominators. And they're like, this is a perfectly logical approach to our, you know, subjugating of the galaxy. And Lobo just wasn't having it. And so he decimates group after group, throng after throng, army after army. It's just really beautiful art, too. I love the pacing of it. There was one particular page that I really, really struck me was where you see him... (laughs) First, he, in the previous page, he asks how he's sort of taunting them and trash talking them. He says, you know, I'm getting a whole lot of blood splatter on my bike because of you guys. Uh, you got anything for that? Like specific things or oils that I should get to get that out of my nice bike? And then you see him on the next page buffing his bike. Then you, Then it pulls out a little further and there are bodies around that explain why he's buffing his bike because again he has the blood splattered on it all over it and then it pulls out some more pulls out some more pulls out some more and he's just decimated ships of them i liked it i liked the way that particular one was framed it was visually arresting i liked it and um and then at the end it turns out it was dolphins it was dolphins well if you're if you're familiar with the which lobo, are not fish by the way well the lobo cannon he's that's like his one his Weakness. one soft spot is for space dolphins yeah and in in 52 and the i think probably almost certainly in the stuff that grant morrison wrote because animal man was in the lobo sequences and grant more and animal man is like one of grant morrison's signature characters he actually became the pope of the space dolphin religion and for and forswore violence <gasps> so it was a really great arc for him <laughs> in that, in that um, just one more reason why 52 is is fantastic um, <laughs> That's very random, but I like but, it. Very yeah, much. I like that story. I like the the meat of that story, but mm-hmm. I have sort of like a, a visceral, adverse reaction to stories that are that are that have like um, a long quotation, be it in this case is Bible verses or like the text of a historical speech, like oh, where they inter yeah, where they interlace okay. that with the main story as mm-hmm. a way of lending it weight or or historical context right or, the quote from the jeremiah to, book or something or about to Judas. or to yeah. um juxtapose something with something else of a different tone you know what i mean yeah just because i feel like if you i don't know i i'm a big so i don't know if you noticed who wrote tom king tom king wrote this and obviously you know we're both big tom king fans yep. but to me i that always seems like kind of a lazy device to me because it's like you you can't be bothered to inject enough weight into your own story you have to just oh i know if i quote the bible throughout it it'll seem it'll seem deep and meaningful like that's i know that there's you want to know the hilarious part i completely ignored that part i actually didn't remember it until you just reminded me this but morning. i feel obligated to read it because it's yeah. there but of course i, just, I read I it too reta- but i didn't care. i don't retain it i just gloss yeah. over because it's like this is not you know like there's no this, way this is relevant to the story because right. it's like you know whoever wrote the bible 2000 years ago didn't have a lobo comic in mind right right so i'm like there's no and you read it it's like oh here's here's this important superman story and it's and it's a juxtapose or it's it's overlaced with like you know kennedy's new frontier speech or a speech by roosevelt or something or churchill right about how we must never give up and you know sometimes that can work or like a quotation at the end of the issue Right. Um, which Tom King has also been doing, like for Strange Adventures, he'll have like a quote from a comics writer at the end. Yep. Um, sometimes that can work, like, like just one little extra punch. But throughout the whole thing, I, I never like it when writers do that. It just feels like it's you're padding the story unnecessarily mm. for, and it's not. It never really adds much to it. So it well, was, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I like. I've actually, never had one where I really liked that I, device. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I can't think not of one. When, but I not do. when used this heavily. Sometimes this if there's one like was a heavily quote used. Every yeah. page or two, maybe, but not when it's like the vast majority of the text of the story. I've never. I don't think I've ever had a good response to a story that did that it's oh, just I not see. something that i enjoy but uh, but overall like, but i did enjoy the story for the actual stuff that was happening and i did enjoy the other stories in that i actually issue. think it was old testament but i'm not sure um 
Uh, yeah, no, I hmm, I can see what what the parallel was trying to do. Now that you reminded me of it, I do remember reading it, and but I just I just didn't care because the story itself was was yeah. fun for me, so that's why I picked it. I like the other stories in there too. Don't get me wrong; it's not just that one that was the reason. It's just I can't remember them because I didn't like them as much. <laughs> I did like them, though. Um, anyway, that was my comic of the week. What did you pick? So I picked the Ginny Hex special. Very um, nice. I really, this was a pleasant surprise for me because I wasn't familiar with the writer. Um, but And I, I find her character fun in Bendis's, you know, Young Justice stuff. And that she yeah. had a couple of little appearances in the, that Batman universe story that he did for the Walmart They comics. kept her tone right, yeah. I, so I enjoyed her there. Like she's got, it's an interesting hook for a character. Like she's a descendant of Jonah Hex and she's inherited this, this chest of like weird artifacts that he encountered on all of his bizarre anachronistic adventures. Uh-huh. Um, that's a cool hook for a character, but I never really got, as, as with a lot of stuff in Bendis's Young Justice, there were so many characters that you never, I never really felt like many of them had much development in there. Mm. So I, I kind of like, yeah, okay, I, I still feel like I don't really know much about her. But this was really good. Like this really got got to the heart of the character, got showed us what she's all about. We learn new things about her her past, like her parentage. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet some friends of hers. They kind of give her a, a villain in this, and they, you know, her even her friends have like an interesting. You know, one of her friends has an interesting twist that happens at the end. It was just a really yep. good self contained story. Like I would read a whole. Certainly a miniseries, maybe even like an ongoing by this creative team that was just like this. You know, this and th- I feel like this could I'm have... confused. Isn't this a pilot? No, it was just a special. Seriously? I mean, oftentimes these oh. specials, these <laughs> these one shots are like testing the waters for more stories. Well, if this, I hope. If this sells really well, mm. I could see them doing a miniseries by the same Guys, writer. Guys, go, go out and buy it, okay? You heard it here for But this folks, was pretty dense, too. I feel yeah. like you could have made this maybe not a six-issue series, but a four-issue series and, it, and, and, and had more stuff in there. You think there it, are four issues in there? Well, it was double. It was almost double sized. I feel like if you added mm. some subplots and stuff, you could have made this a three or four issue miniseries. Yeah, and maybe. maybe had some other. You know, had some guest appearances. Maybe like Young Justice shows up at the at the beginning to to wish her well and so. <laughs> um, yeah, but I really enjoyed it. But I also wanted to give uh, honorable mention to Dark Knight's Death Metal: The Secret Origin, which was the Superboy Prime special because that he's a, nice. he's a character that I've that I found really interesting going all the way back to the original Crisis on Infinite Earths of course I didn't read that when it came out I probably read it 10 15 years later because I was only 3 years old when it came out uh, but then when Jeff Johns brought him back in Infinite Crisis and then all of his subsequent appearances and the Sinestro Corps War and um I'm trying to think of what else he appeared in um Legion of Three Worlds and Countdown but nobody likes to remember that Countdown happened <laughs> Um, and then he, you know, he kind of disappeared when the new 52 happened and everybody was, oh, you know, cause nothing was in continuity anymore. And then he's been, Johns has been kind of gradually working him back in recently. It just, we discovered that he was like imprisoned by the wizard Shazam right. in the Shazam series. And he got broken out there by Savannah and Mr. Mind. And then he shows up here. Um, and it kind of puts a nice capper on his arc in, in a way that you kind of feel like his story is done. Mm-hmm. Like to, to rob him of this ending would kind of be kind of sad. Right. Cause this whole thing has always been about bringing back. Either bringing back his Earth the way he remembered it, or if that wasn't possible, creating what he thinks would be like a perfect Earth for the DC universe, like the the bright, shiny kind of Silver Age Earth that he grew up reading about. Right. Not the sort of grim, gritty Earth with like actual, you know, reality in it that he was confronted with when he came to the, you know, Earth Prime or Zero or Earth One or whatever it was at the time. Yep. Um, it kind of felt like he was dragging, that Earth was dragging him down with it because he would, you know, he went right. on a bit of a killing spree. <laughs> Um, it's like, no, this earth is like infecting me and making me do these things. And I, all, all I ever wanted was for everybody to be happy, but it's impossible to be happy on this earth. This is trash. I'm going to destroy it all and bring back the earth that it should be. And Johns would use him sometimes a little heavy handedly 
as like a proxy for the fans. He'd mm-hmm. be like, you'd write him as like an internet troll, like some character would try. like, oh, you, you, you know, you were better off. You, you were better in the old comics. Oh, Kyle Rayner would bring Hal Jordan back when they when they got rid of Hal Jordan and brought you in. That's when the Green Lantern comics really start to suck, right? Like, right. He would use him as not that Jeff, that's Jeff Johns' opinion, but he would use him as like a proxy for the kind of like how the Simpsons writers will use comic book guy right. as like a punching bag for their most vitriolic fan um haters you know yep so jeff johns would be like you know people that would criticize certain trends in comics or even things that he himself had written he would use superboy prime as like a as like a you know straw man mouthpiece for that yep so that'd be kind of that was fun sometimes but it would sometimes be kind of heavy-handed but here he kind of gets a nice ending kind of gets to go out like a hero and you know the kind of happy irony of it is that he doesn't he, what, he doesn't do what he does to get any kind of reward. He just remembers that he was kind of a good kid all along. But in the end, because of all the multiverse shenanigans that's going on, right. he kind of does ultimately get what he wants. Right. You know, and kind of the best of both worlds because it seems like he still has his powers. Because the original conception of the character, the reason he's called Superboy Prime, is he was from the original Earth Prime. And the original Earth Prime was supposed to be the real world, our Earth. Right. So just it was kind of a it was and he was a one off character. It was like a basically a what if storyline. What if there was a kid that happened to be named Clark Kent in the real world mm-hmm. who actually it turned out does have Superman powers and what would his life be like in a world where people know kind of like the the um the the Superman Secret Identity series that Kurt Busiek did and then later the Batman Creature of the Night series that he did. What would it be like to be a Bruce Wayne or a Clark Kent yes. that actually becomes that hero in a world where that hero is already known as a comic book character? Mm-hmm. Would yes. you feel like you had to live up to that character? Would you try to diverge from that? Would you try to imitate it? Yeah. Um, and he is sort of a fun one-off storyline. And then Wolfman worked him into Crisis on Infinite Earths. And he was one of the few characters that actually survived the destruction of the multiverse and remembered everything that happened and wasn't like merged into the new composite Earth. Um, so that, that was the original conception. He was like the one superhero on the real world planet, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, which I always thought was a nice idea because, of course, Superman was the first superhero on our Earth. And so to have him be the one and only hero uh-huh. in the real world and the idea that we're reading a comic. And then, of course, they had all sorts of fun with like the multiverse crisis stories where the, the superheroes would travel to Earth Prime and they would meet the DC Comics writers because if Earth Prime is our Earth, right? Right. So, you know, they That's would have fun. all sorts of fun with that. But the idea that in the, in the real world there is a kid out there somewhere who's learning how to be Superman yeah. was always kind of like a, a nice idea. So the idea that in the end, after everything he put this kid through John's kind of restores that original conceit. Yeah. I thought was a really nice ending. So. Nice. Yeah. That was so a I wanted one. to give that one an honorable mention. Do you want to move on to our activity? I'm ready. So because we've got some Star Trek stuff to talk about this week, I thought we would rank the Star Trek villains. Ooh, good So one. I have six of the more iconic Star Trek villains, and I okay. thought we would rate them. I should have said rate, not rank. Okay. Um, but rate them on a scale of one to five like we've been doing. Um and I, I confine myself to singular villains. Like you could e- easily say like the Klingons or the Borg or the Romulans, right? right? But in some of those cases, especially with say the Romulans or even the Klingons, there's not like one particular right. big bad character. Worf is a Klingon. Well, yeah. But even if you look at like Klingon characters that were villainous, like Kor in the original series or some or Gowron kind of sometimes, yeah. they were always more like they had good sides and bad sides. Sometimes they'd be on the good guys fed the Starfleet side and sometimes they wouldn't be, right? Right. They made bad choices. So they, good choices, you would yeah. not call Kor a villain. I wouldn't call Gowron a villain. Maybe the only Klingons that you could say are villains are like the Duras family or whatever, right? But even right. even then I wouldn't say they were like the big iconic villains. So the six that I came up with are Khan, uh uh-huh. Kang, which is Christopher Plummer's uh, character from him. Star Trek Six. Yeah. The Borg Queen, 
Ooh, good one. Gal Dukat. Nice. Nero from the J.J. Abrams movie, Eric Bana's Romulan character, and Osira, who I wouldn't Ooh. say has necessarily achieved iconic status yet, but if you wanted to say, like, what's the most memorable modern Star Trek villain, really seems like she's probably going to be up there, just if only due to, like, sheer number of appearances, right? Yeah, they really Because what are you going to say else? Yeah. What else are you going to pick from Discovery? Like, Control? It's an AI. Like, that's not, you know what I mean? That was, that was a cool story, but I wouldn't say that's, like, an iconic, memorable villain, mm, right? Yeah. Um. So Khan, what would you rank Khan out of five? Um, he's five out of five. He's he's definitely S tier. Um, to use Prozidi's ranking systems, um, I think that first off, his first appearance is really really amazing, and his subsequent appearances, in including in the movies, were really really. It was a hundred percent because of the actor. Um, whose name I can't remember. Ricardo Montalban. Thank you. I was right. Oh, my brain was like, Ricardo Montalban. It's 80% due to Ricardo his performance Montalban. and 20% due to his pecs, I would say. Yeah, I mean, those pecs really do add something. <laughs> They're also doing the performing. Yeah, so That's gl- for sure. So glistening. <laughs> That's true. It was the style of the time. Um, so, yeah, no, he he's definitely a, an S-tier villain. I like the way he takes his time with the lines. I love the intensity in his face. He chews the scenery, but in a, cold calculated manner a Star Trek villain a good Star Trek good. villain is always like I would say a little every, bit I would say every single one of these actors is, is hamming it up yeah yeah but it but it works ah, like that's perfect. just that's the that's the heightened reality of Star Trek it's very Shakespearean and at times it campy is. you know that's, yeah. just, that's just what it is I'm surprised you didn't put um a, a David Warner's character on there from the they there are five lights there oh, but yeah, one, a one-off TV episode. It's true, villain. but these that are, was a these good, are mostly well, like the movie well, villains. It was or, two episodes, technically. It was a two-parter. He didn't appear in the... If he didn't appear at the first one, is at the very, very end, but I don't even think he did. I think the first one ended with the Cardassians surrounding Picard and, like, taking him into custody. I don't think we saw the little torture chamber <laughs> office hmm. uh, until the second one. But, yeah, so you would say five for Khan? Yeah, I five. think I'm going to say four. Mm. I always liked... I mean, I, I've seen Wrath of Khan a ton, and I think it's a great movie, but I, I think that... He, when you think about it, he does kind of go out like a punk because the whole thing is like... <laughs> That's true. The whole he thing does, is that though, he doesn't... Because yeah. he can't... Because of the time he came from and the way he learned military tactics, the whole reason they're able to defeat him is because he don't he doesn't understand the technology of the ship that he's flying or how to really like fight in space in three dimensions. And so they're like, oh, we'll just... We'll, we'll use the axis codes to take over to like freeze the controls of the ship and then we'll come at him from the z-axis basically is the whole way they beat him and yeah, like his actions did lead to Spock's death which was like super tragic and iconic. Yeah. But... He does end up kind of going out like a bit of a punk because he's not really that good at fighting in space in a starship, which is a little bit of a... a che- I, I kind of feel like as much as the con, as the Benedict Cumberbatch con character is mm. pretty kind of a different character, very different performance. Yeah, um, different writing too. He did his his actions did have like because everything in those movies is like epic and explosions oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. everything. But I feel like he, he took a bigger toll on the Star Trek universe in Into Darkness than he did even because the, the consequences in Wrath of Khan were like the crew of the Reliant mm-hmm. and Spock, basically, yep. Yep. right? So, but I, you know, you probably want to consider the Benedict Cumberbatch to be a different character. But I always thought that he went out like a bit of a punk. So, But that, that was not the point of the movie. The point is that it's kind of like Kirk's hubris and his lack of like, of like, oh yeah, I probably should have gone back and checked on Khan. Like he was always on to the next adventure and he wasn't really being very thoughtful about things and it ended up costing his best friend. That was the point of that movie, you know, and it wasn't so much about Khan being the ultimate villain. Right. He just, he's just held up as the ultimate villain because he's so memorable and because he was in like one of the best movies. So people remember him, right? Right. 
Uh, so Kang, Christopher Plummer from I, I, in some ways, I actually like him better than Khan. He goes out like a bit of a punk too, but at least he like he's about to he's got the Enterprise. He almost has them, yeah. and then they sort of pull like a clever last minute thing. Um, and his quoting Shakespeare and his like eye yeah. packs is like screwed into his face. Yeah, you know, that's bolted really in there. Mm-hmm. Got a really cool look. Uh, really great performance. And again, that's one of the better movies. Like the two he's, Nicholas Meyer I, movies are are the the best, probably the best of the. Although yeah. I love The Voyage Home, but they're they're definitely probably the two best of the original series movies. Yeah. So I I think I'd have to give him four also. Yeah, I give him a four for me, but because he's not, I guess I maybe I should rewatch those films. But he didn't. Yeah, make I'd love to as much. Six. I didn't. I didn't remember him as well as I remembered the multiple multiple times that I saw Khan. Well, and he, yeah, the, the the writing for Khan to. to I agree. He's like, well wi- well written. It's perfectly plot. It's perfectly believable and realistic that right. he would have certain tactical shortcomings because he because he, didn't, he came he from wasn't a different time to fight sure. in this environment. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the one of the one of the really clever things about that climax. But it does kind of diminish his his standing in my eyes as like a supreme warrior. Uh, you know, well, that's all. Um, I uh, but with King, I. I like him. I love his presence. His presence was so good. He's like, like you said, twirling his, his chair around in yeah, his he, bridge mm-hmm. and shouting Shakespeare out. You know, our revels now have ended. Right? He's like spinning around. Right? Yeah. And they see sees the torpedo coming at him, and all he can do is like quote one more Shakespeare line and kind of look off camera as the picture gets fuzzy. Right? Yep. So yeah, that's a great death scene. Yeah. Um, so you, I need you to gi- watch that. Would again. you give him four again? I'll give him a four. So, Khan got a five m- m- for yeah, me. I would give them both a four. Yeah. So the Borg Queen. So for here, it's up if you want to consider just just first contact, yeah. or if you want to consider first contact and the Voyager episodes. If you want to consider both Alice Krieger and Susanna Thompson, I think the character. It's up to you how you so, want to break it down. Yeah, I really, think really I'm the only her only her, really her only together. memorable one was first contact. Her Alice Voyager TV, her Voyager yeah. TV, but it was Alice Krieger again in Voyager's final episode. Yeah. they brought they finally got her back for that one. Right. but in all her intermediate appearances in Voyager it was Susanna Thompson who mm-hmm. was also really good she was great but she's yeah. not quite as slimy and yeah Alice seduct- Krieger is seductive as Alice Krieger was you know that she had that sort of like almost like reptilian yeah she was a little bit she got a very very, very interesting like facial structure mm. you know like uh, what was the name of the the actress that played um the ancient one in Doctor Strange oh um Tilda Swinton yeah she has kind of like the same sort of like almost gaunt Really interesting, like really mem- yes. like facial well, structure. They also like, played That's really interesting. Yeah, right. I know they did with the makeup, but oh, yeah. if you see her out of it, she has that sort of like gaunt. She look has those cheekbones, maybe very, very prominent mm. looking. So it really mem- and Susanna Thompson, you know, doesn't have that look at all. So yeah, I, but I feel like the physicality was a big part of it. But yeah, so what what do you think for the Borg Queen? I liked her. Um, I think that her premise was good. I liked the uh, the the fact that she's trying to manipulate data. Um, I like. I like the story arc there. Um, I like that she's in multiple places at once. I like that she's willing to make sacrifices for her um, for her own ends, um, and that she doesn't really care about the drones because they're just drones. But at the same time, she wants to collect more things, and that she just wants to be the queen of all things. I like her. I don't think she's overly complex. So look, she's in between a four and a five for me, but I think I'll give her a five just because it really is an arresting performance, an arresting kind of chilling presence. So I like she's, her. she's kind of a controversial figure amongst the fandom because there's a lot of people that think that the Borg were more were more, more terrifying when they were a faceless 
Oh, interesting. Like you, you take down one and five more come. They're all the same. They won't stop. There's no way to identify them. There's no way to talk to them. There's no way to negotiate with them. They don't have a face. They don't have a voice. They just have their 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 droning message and their um and their. Well, now relentless. you're questioning her very existence. Well, but but that's if I think it's a bad idea for a character, then she's not going to rank very highly mm. for me, right? Yeah, yeah. But all that is to say, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think it really diminishes the Borg to have like a. I feel like it was like, oh, well, we've said that they have a hive mind and what the hives have, they have queens. Like, I feel like I see how they got there. It doesn't, right. nec- doesn't not, not a character that needed to exist. I feel like for that movie, though, you did need some sort of identification character for them to talk to Data, to talk to Picard. You needed it for that one story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I think it's an okay idea for a character. And I think that she's performed really well. And I like the the stories that she's in. And I like the performances, but but we know so little about her that it's hard to like. I, I've got like really interesting thoughts about like, oh, what if she was like the one who founded the collective? Like, what if she was some scientist in some world who came up with the who invented nanoprobes, Ooh. and she was the one that like created the Borg? Like, I've got all these interesting ideas in my head about what her origin could be, and maybe we'll see that someday in some series or movie, and it'll be completely different than I thought. I think you're I think, right. I think that the mystery of her is what's the most interesting. Like, wait, where did she come from? Why her? Why is she the leader? Like, did she create them? Did they assimilate her, and she just had some special mutation where she could take control or something? Like, what... What is it, you know, like I find the mystery about the character most interesting, but that's just sort of me projecting something that's not there in the text, you know? That's true. So I think I'd probably have to give her a three. I really like her, but she's not, she's not in the same league as, like, I I wouldn't feel right ranking her the same as Khan, for example. Yeah. Okay, that's very fair. I'm going to bump mine down to four because that's absolutely, yeah, if she had a little bit, that's what I was missing too. I feel like that's why she was in between a four and a five for me because there was more there. I feel like it was kind of cool in Voyager when they did give her like this, where Seven of Nine kind of had this good mom, bad mom thing with, with Janeway and the Borg Queen, kind yeah. of like fighting for her soul. Mm, yep, I, yep. I always enjoyed those scenes in that conflict. Um, yeah, that was good. But uh, but it, again, it, it, that wasn't really the character that was making that interesting. It was almost, that was almost all on Jerry Ryan and her performance, yeah. you know? Yeah. So so I, I can't really give them, give her extra points for that. What about Gal Dukat? Oh, I feel like this is going to be a- Freaking six. Yeah. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, this is the. I, I think, don't want to talk to anybody who doesn't I do anything. I definitely agree. Gal Dukat is the best. Oh my The God. best villain in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, best, hands down. Freaking. I mean, it's not. It's not that the performance is better than all the other performances. Although I do think the performance is impeccable. Yeah. Um, but oh, I think man. it's. I think it's. It is. It's like the writing for him was just so much better than so the writing good. for any of these other characters. So right? like, good. So and, thoughtful. And it's kind of unfair because Khan had one TV episode and one movie, two if you count the Benedict Cumberbatch version, right? Um, I wasn't going to count the movies, but he had multiple appearances in TV. No, just one. Space Seed and Wrath of Khan were the only two Khan Are appearances. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's why and it's so remarkable that it impact? became such an impact. Yeah. Wow. Um, the Borg Queen had one movie in three or four Voyager episodes. Kang had one movie. Gul Dukat had, I don't even know how many dozens of so TV appearances, many episodes, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a little unfair to compare like two stories versus 30. Mm-hmm. But. You know, that's the hand you're dealt. And I feel like they really made the most of that to take him on so many it's so, so many, many ups arcs, and downs yeah. for the character. And his character got so complex and where he ended up versus where he started and the characters that surrounded him with and his different, the, his 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 relationship to Cisco, his relationship to Kira, his relationship to Damar, his relationship to his daughter, his relationship to Kai Wynn, like Wayun, right? You could, there's like 20 Run different characters list, that yeah. he has unique, compelling interactions with over the course of the show, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely the best. He's the best start. He's, I mean, in a in a series in Deep Space Nine where there's so many fantastic characters that aren't even part of the main cast. I mean, mm-hmm. you could list twenty of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, I would argue that he's, is he the best character on that show? I mean, you could even make an argument that he's the best character in all of Star Trek. I think you could reasonably you could, make that argument. You really could. He really is just mwah, perfect. And um, I think he's the most, I think he's the most three-dimensional character in, in all of Star Trek. Yes, I would say so. Because I mean, as much as I love characters like, you know, Picard, for example, Picard doesn't have as many facets many, he doesn't he hasn't had as many trave- ups and downs he hasn't he hasn't had as his highs haven't been as high his lows haven't been as low you know what i mean like ducat has seen more and done well, more and been more things and had you know what i mean i tried more things it's just it was we've seen him in so many more different situations whereas picard is like he's a starfleet captain and then he's like now he's like a down in his luck ex-admiral right i feel like i don't know i love a good good i love a good good guy and, yeah, I'm just saying that with is. with villains you with get villains, to you, you get, get to more see more of right. you know because it's like you could take them on an arc where they enjoy. call oh could they be redeeming themselves like, yeah and they last, went in that like, direction yeah. with Ducat uh-huh. for a long time and then they went off in the other direction some people felt like they overcorrected like they made him mm-hmm. too car- cartoonishly mm-hmm. evil at the end with the fire I, eyes and the, everything else I don't else. agree I think it was a perfect wrap up to a that. lot of people like to a lot of people like to to sort of think that his arc ended. When they retook the station and his daughter died and he oh, was like a broken man muttering was... to himself in a cell or maybe the episode um where he it's basically like him and cisco on the planet and, and he ducat is seeing the like the ghosts of the people that he knows yeah, right yeah um and you realize just how much just how far gone he is how much he's cracked up and he finally admits to cisco basically because cisco basically gets him to admit that he he always wanted to just kill all the bajorans right yeah and you're like that's like once you get him to admit that he's like he's like a villain at that point like right. there's no coming there's no walking no. back from that and at that point there's they no went they went into that. the season seven thing where he was like basically trying to like make deals with with the, the bajoran devils basically and basically like, yeah it's like that's at that point you're like cartoonish super villain it's like he it's like this line from the simpsons right he crossed the line between everyday villainy and cartoon super villainy yes and that was kind of the line for ducat and if that's like that's if that's like the 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 peak of his arc right like he he always sort of straddled that line and he in the end he just went way off in one direction jump the shark that's fine but Mm -hmm. i can sort of see why people prefer the more complex version where he's like kind of good kind of bad for the first five or six i think it's nice that deep space nine had the opportunity to end on its own terms and and you know uh, think about the arc of the characters so that they could take him there and I don't feel like it wasn't earned. All, I don't I don't it feel made, it was cartoon. It all made sense, yeah. but would it, it was a choice to I mean, bring, look, it was a choice to bring him heroism, back. Cartoon heroism could be ascribed to Cisco's character. Like yeah. he's basically their messiah. I think that what they wanted well that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to basically make him Cisco's opposite. So if make you Cisco have, make exactly. Cisco like the the, 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 exactly. the champion of yep. the angels and Ducat the champion of the devils. But there that was go. a choice. Like they could have yeah. they could have left they could have had him fade away after his his, you know, massive military defeat and the loss of his daughter and his mind fractures. Right. And then maybe you see him one more time, but he's a broken man or something, right? right. And then the final, then the, the whole, the big threat of the Paw Rates in season seven is just Kai Wynn trying to commune with the Paw Rates or something, which is kind of what they did. They made a choice to bring him back because the writers loved him, the, the, yep. the, actor, the fans loved him. It's like, oh, let's make him back and bring him the, make him the big bad. He was never the big bad. He's always, he was always just a presence, right? Like the Dominion. He was always an anti The Dominion, was, so the Dominion was the big bad. Yeah. Ducat was just sort of there working both sides. And yep. that's kind of what made him interesting. But to turn him into the big bad at the end that Cisco has to punch in a cave, yeah. a lot of people felt that that I was kind know, of I like a reductive it. take on his character. But I, I never really felt that. But no, that's just either. sort of – so yeah. I would still give him five. What about what about Nero? I don't even – who? That's Eric well, – you seemed like you remembered him when I listed the characters at the beginning of this. Eric Bana's Romulan character from the first J.J. Abrams movie. Oh. The one that right. destroyed Vulcan and wanted – you know. 
Right, right, right. And was really mad about Romulus being destroyed and then was just kind of trying yeah, to Yeah, his kill wife everybody. and child had died and he wanted revenge on Spock because Spock hadn't saved Romulus, right? I I just, I barely remembered him. I like the performance, but I don't think that he was a very deep character. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really meant to be. He, I mean, no, no, exactly. As, as much as like, as much as Red Letter Media likes to, to bag, on the, bag yeah. on the Star Trek movies, I feel like they're right about, they're right about him, which is that, and it's not that they didn't, they thought he was bad, but what they said was that in a movie that has to do so much, like restart interest in Star Trek, establish right. this new cast playing classic characters, yep. have this entirely new feel and new look to everything. You don't really want, nor do you have time for like a super meaty developed villain. You kind of want just like a stock villain because you're, you're, you just want to see the heroes do stuff. You want exactly. to see the heroes meet each other for the first time right. and come together as a crew. That's where you want to have spend quirky dialogue, exactly. right? Like you don't want to spend half, this isn't Wrath of Khan, right? You don't want to spend half the movie with Nero learning about what makes him tick. That's right. not what it's about. It's just there to have someone for the Enterprise to, to fight at the end, right? Yes. So he served his purpose for the movie, but that doesn't necessarily make for a memorable character. So yeah, I think I would maybe give him a two. I always, I always liked I the performance do. and I yeah. thought that it, he was a good character in the movie, but it's just not super memorable. And yes. you didn't even rem- really remember I didn't, who he was. No, I forgot. Yeah. Uh, so what about Osira? It's I maybe like it's her. maybe it's maybe um, two uh, days early. Right. Because we got the season finale of Discovery in two days. It's maybe two days maybe early should, to write yeah. the book about her character, and who knows if she'll even continue yeah, into so future I'll episodes. Yeah. So I'll give her a ranking as of an a- with an asterisk, Tentative ranking. and maybe yeah, exactly, and maybe we revise it next week after we see the. If the you want, I mean, premiere. we can talk about what we think about her, what they do with her in the final episode when we talk about the final episode. Right, but um. And we're not going to talk about the the last episode that we just saw until, you know, the spoiler warning. But suffice it to say, I think she's really, uh, they took a turn with her last episode. I won't go into the details, but I like her even more. Um, I thought she was threatening, but I thought she was two-dimensional. And in last episode, we got to see a lot more depth to her. Um, and the people in her circle who see her differently than you would think which is also interesting. It's always interesting when you not only get a feel for, and this was made Goldu Tukat really good too, is how other people received him, how other people's relationships were to him and about him. Like what they would say about him, how how um, Kira would freeze every time she said it, because basically to her, he's Hitler and always will be. Um, and she detests everything about him um, and doesn't want to see any sort of humanity, for lack of a better term, um, about him vulnerability or compassion or anything like that no so that's detestable to Kira because she doesn't want to see that picture in her mind so similarly here when we see more about how other people view Osira within her circle um you start to add depth to her as a character so I don't know I'm gonna give her right now I'm gonna give her a solid 3.5 because and that's an improvement from what I thought about her, because I thought she was very two-dimensional and kind of uninteresting up until last episode. I think I would say three. Um, I thought she was definitely, I mean, everybody agrees that she was made a lot more interesting by this most recent episode, but it's hard to its hard to shake the feeling that if it had been set up better, it would have made for an overall more compelling character. All the stuff that Agreed. made her interesting in this episode seemed like it came out of nowhere, both yes. her relationships to other characters and her true agenda. Um, almost seemed completely contradictory with what we saw about her and her her evil mustache twirling, I'm going to murder my own nephew for failing me in the slightest way goals. Yes. Um, I think they missed some opportunities in those earlier episodes because they could have laid some yeah. groundwork. Well, that can, would be interesting. We can talk about that when we yeah. talk about the episode. But yeah, for, for that reason, I think that, I mean, if this was her only appearance or if her other appearances had been 
had been writing this version of the character. Yeah. I think it might be a four, but for now I'm going to have to say three and we'll see where they sort of land the character. Yeah, at I the feel end. like she's on an upward trajectory, though. I, I, I have faith in next episode. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So should we talk about our shows now? Ready. Um, so Spoiler let's talk, warning. Let's, let's talk about Doctor Who. So okay. we've got the Revolution of the Daleks sort of New Year's special here. This was fun. Um, which is notable for being the uh, goodbye episode for um, Tosin Cole and Bradley Walsh, right? right? Um, so I enjoyed this overall. I thought it was fun. I thought it was like some of the more recent Doctor Who episodes, we felt like they just felt, it felt incredible insubstantial mm. or sometimes like a little slow like yeah. the pacing it seemed off to us this one moved right along it was fun yep um it so was I, interesting i enjoyed it, it was but a little bit nail-biting and think, aggravating thinking, in all the right ways thinking about it afterwards though there were certain plot choices that i thought felt i don't want to say lazy but felt like it's kind of ill-conceived or like they didn't really think it through or they didn't put enough thought into it mm. and and i think that and so there's a there's a few instances of this one is the the speed at which the doctor is freed from her prison oh. because they set up this whole big cliffhanger about her being in this Jadun prison at yeah. the end of the last thing. Yep. And she's out of there within five minutes at the start of this episode. And it, oh. it didn't come up again, basically. Like, so what were the consequences of her being in there? Well, she had some time to think about all the revelations that right. she learned, but her attitude towards them and her, the way she thought about them didn't really seem that much different than from last season. I mean, she seemed, you know, she was still angry at, at this being kept from her and resolved to find out more about it, but also afraid of what she might find. That was basically her attitude last season too. So it doesn't yeah. seem like those hundreds of years or however long she spent there really changed her that much. She seemed basically Agreed. the same character. I don't know. I don't even have a firm grasp for how long she's been in there. I well, feel like they were like vague been, about it, but I mean, I think it's supposed it, to be many years. Yeah, well, but, I would like specificity well, because she was counting the days on the wall and I would like to know what her yeah. final tally was. To me, that doesn't really Like, why matter. would you count days but, unless you actually cared? So she, so she was there. It seemed like she was either she was either there to let her so the character could undergo some growth, which doesn't really seem like it happened. Right. Or it was just a way to get her to, to meet up with Captain Jack again. Yeah. Which feels like that could have been done in many days. Be like I if, have questions about it'd be like, Jack. It'd be like if at the end of Best of the Both Worlds, Picard becomes a Borg and five minutes into the season premieres, like, oh, he's fine again. Like, ah, if you're going to yeah. set up a big cliffhanger and make people wait a year for the resolution of the cliffhanger, right. don't resolve the, the main hook of the cliffhanger five minutes into your next episode. It just feels like a cheat. I actually had hope that... Um, I really had hope that when when... Oh no, Yaz was losing her mind there and going a beautiful mind in the second TARDIS. And she was, um, you know, actually putting the puzzle pieces together, even though she was kind of like feebly, whatever. I was so hopeful that they would be the ones to get her out. Well, somehow. I guess, I guess, I guess that's a good, so yeah, maybe. I mean, they I guess that's, that I guess really that's nice. a good point. I guess it's, so if it was just there to Especially, have a reason why she had to be absent for 10 months so that the three companions could undergo, undergo growth in different directions. In their ways, yes. Then that's fine, but it still feels like a little cheap, the fact that the ease with which she was broken out and the speed with which it happened. Yeah. And as far as Captain Jack is concerned, it's great to see him back. He was written well, obviously, John Barrowman has a ball. <laughs> oh. But I feel like he didn't really, need to be there he didn't really add any like he didn't bring crucial knowledge of the daleks he didn't bring crucial insights about the doctor he had a nice scene with yaz where he talked about what it's like to be a companion of the doctor and how eventually you're going to get left behind right and cherish it while you can but that's that's nothing that you didn't need jack to be there that could have been something yaz 
arrived at it on, on her own or through a conversation with Graham or any number of other ways. I don't feel like you, you didn't. Well, Captain Jack felt inessential in this episode to me. It could have been. There was nothing about this that needed. It was fun to see him, but you're yeah, absolutely but that's exactly right. It, it. Could have, yeah. it could have been any former. Nothing about this that needed to be Captain Jack specifically. It could have been any former companion or there, even some new character. They that glossed the over has. the one thing that made him integral to this, which is that he was in the cell 19 years. It took him 20 years to yeah, figure but he's out even, how to. Yeah, but he's almost as old as she is by yes, this point. Yes, so, so but no, 19 but, years I'm say- I know, but I'm telling you that that's why Captain Jack was in there because he's the only one that could spend yeah, that, that kind of time. Well, because that's the but way they wrote that's it. That's the breakup. If, if it had yeah, been yeah, literally yeah. anybody else, they could have. If it had been River Song, she could have gotten in some other way that wouldn't have required 19 years of right. waiting. Right. If so- they were able to teleport out, well, you would think that they would have a, a jail protocol for like like a like a time vortex inhibitor or targetist blocker. I don't. Blocker I don't, I don't care about any of the the. Logistics, like I yeah. don't care about it. It's, it's the character stuff that, like, the fact that it was fun to see him again, but nothing about this required his presence or or required it to be him specifically. And the last the last thing that I would that I would say is that I feel like the way that Ryan and Graham's departure was written was fine. I felt like it was it was definitely like Graham's was was perfect because if Ryan's going to leave, then of course he's going to go with him because the main thing he wants to do is like be with him and watch him grow up yeah. and take care of him, right? Like that was perfect. That was nice. Ryan saying that he. Like they could have that that didn't feel like that was that was fitting for his character. Yeah. But over ten months, you could have you could have written his character changing or growing in any number of different ways. You could have written it like like if they'd switched Yaz and Ryan. Mm. I don't feel like it would have felt that strange if Yaz was the one who had gone back to her life as a police officer and spending more time with her family, and Ryan was the one who was like dedicated to finding like that wouldn't have seemed any different to me like that their their arcs in this episode seem pretty much interchangeable hmm. um there's not there was nothing well, about his you know departure why that, that is, felt right? specifically true Do you to know him. why that is because they really never fleshed yaz's character out that deeply and and the same for or ryan, ryan really uh, yeah but, exactly but, but again like i feel like I feel like yes, we know about that's true. Them. We I know think the that's specifics. why. Exactly. I think that's why the flaw exists in the episode exactly. is because Graham's character is so much better defined. Like you know what he's going, how he's going to react in those situations because we feel like we know him so much better. Yeah. Either because of the quality of the performance, or the quality of I writing, or what. I also think you know why. I also think this is kind of tough to say, but because Graham's character is older and sort of settled, you have a strong bead of what he's been through, what he's learned, what he values, and I who he is. I think it's so much the performance though. And I, I think, think that Bradley yeah, that Walsh too. is so I, I empathetic and sympathetic and he really is. He's so warm that, and, and kind. Yeah, yeah, I know. But no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. But I know I what feel you mean. Like, like having a more weathered character is more settled younger, and more sh- no, who knows the more The two younger characters are still on a path of self-discovery. Yeah. And so they are kind of fluid. They're but, like... But like I'd have to think I could think back to other episodes, but like Amy's departure, for example, like she left because she had to be with Rory, which is the perfect ending for her yeah. arc, right? Um I'd, I'd have to think back and think of other other like the way that Rose went out was fitting for her character, right? She like didn't she, even want to go. She got trapped, right? But she went out yeah. like a hero, and she got she kind yep. of got her version of her doctor to it's grow true. old with too. Like that was a fitting ending to like you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't write that ending for for like Martha, right? For right. example, um, Martha's ending was Donna's pretty ending. Solid Donna's too. ending was perfect, right? Like oh, like you had like they've had and Clara. You could say that like Clara because her whole arc was kind of becoming like more and more like the Doctor, and she got her own TARDIS and her own companion, right? Like mm-hmm. those those felt fitting, Earned, yeah. right? Um, this just felt like 
not not badly written, but arbitrary. You know, like mm. it, it, there's no reason why it had to happen now, and there was no reason why it had to be him. It could have happened two seasons from now, That's and it could have happened to Yaz. Very solid. And the last thing I will say is that as far as Ryan's arc is concerned, I get. I thought it was nice that they bookended him by having him learning to ride the, the bike with thing. Graham at the end. Yeah. But the only thing that bothers me about that is that. Even though he has, we've seen him grow and change, Mm -hmm. showing him trying to do the same thing we first saw him trying to do and still failing at it kind of makes it seem like he hasn't grown and changed that much. I think it would have been it would have been nicer if he'd finally managed to do it. If we'd seen him actually do it and we're like, oh, he finally overcame that one last small thing that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things after all the huge things that he's accomplished. But he finally got to to beat the small thing too. Right. I I think that would be that. You're right. I agree. Having I him agree. fail at, nice. at it again at the end and again just felt and again. like yeah. it makes his character seem like he's right back where he started. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I wasn't thrilled with how, with that being the last. And note not for only his that, but either. we've literally seen him overcome that uh, disability of his, like on multiple episodes yeah. of the thing, and he's small improvements. But I think again, they wrote the, those in there. The inconsistencies so, don't bother me as much as like the thematic arc of things you know right. what i mean like like oh in episode yeah. 502 we saw that he was able to do this this and sure. this and so therefore he should that doesn't bother no, me i don't, I don't care about, about that sort of that sort of pedantry you know but yeah. I, what does bother me is the fact that like this is the this is the last we're going to see of his character presumably mm-hmm. this is the sort of the grace note for his character no no pun intended um because grace literally showed i up understand there. um <laughs> and that was nice i mean that, that was, was a nice, nice moment yeah. it was nice that they were together i i get that they, what they were going for but it just feels like there were choices made in this episode that seemed like they didn't really, that they didn't put enough thought into them or didn't try hard enough. Like they seemed arbitrary. Like yeah, that 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 fits as a as a bookend to his character. But nobody really thought about well, what is this saying about his character? You know, it'd be fun to have Captain Jack in there, but why? Like why him? Like it'll be fun. The, we'll put the Doctor in jail, and but why? Like what is that? Every every story, every like ramping up of the of the stakes should have consequences. It shouldn't be like, build the tension. Okay, the tension's back down to zero because she's out of prison again and nobody's going to mention it, right? It's like, if that's going to be the cliffhanger, that has to propel the story Mm -hmm. for the resolution of the cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Like, it should be the the key inciting factor in some way of the resolution, Mm -hmm. right? And I get that it's kind of weird because one was a season finale and this is a New Year's special. So the kind of, a New Year's special is, or a Christmas special in times past, is always like its weird own standalone story that had a different objectives you know it's just supposed to be a rollicking good time Mm it's not supposed to really pay off a lot of stuff or set up a lot of stuff yeah i mean and we did get a lot of fan service especially in the jail itself you saw the 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 angel you saw the creature that ate the ship you saw the and um, and jack references one of his uh old one of the old castmates from the torchwood spinoff series gwen cooper which is one of the characters from his torchwood spinoff series so like oh Mm -hmm. she's still out there like there was that not so lots Lots of nice little bits of fans. And again, I feel like I've been bagging on it for 15 minutes. I enjoyed it. I thought it yeah. was fun. And that's what the that's what the holiday specials are always supposed to be, is sort of like a fun, good time. I remember that, I forget who said this, if it was Stephen Moffat or Russell T. Davies or whatever, but he's like, the, the mission statement with the holiday specials is always like, imagine that people are watching this on Christmas and they've already had like a little bit to drink. Mm-hmm. Like, don't make it too heady. You know what right. I mean? Don't like, make it cerebral. Don't make it sad. It's supposed to be easy to follow and fun and, and colorful, you know, yep. which is what makes it weird when it's often where the regenerations happen. Just oh. because of the way the structure of the filming <laughs> shoot, the schedules work, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of what makes it like, oh, here's a fun holiday special. Now watch the doctor die. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. And that happens every time. It's always the holiday special, right? Hmm. Anyway, um, but I did enjoy it. It just felt like at least at least it w- at least it was fun and enjoyable to watch. Like some of the other Chibnall episodes have just seemed like they kind of they're just sort of there. Even though the last season, I think we agree, was an improvement over the the previous season. Yeah. Um, 
but this one just felt a little too slight. I understand the holiday episodes are tr- aren't really don't have high aspirations, but this one felt like it just it needed another it needed, it needed another pass because yeah. it just the choices that were made just seemed like okay, I guess like. I feel that there were missed opportunities to have nicer, nice conversations um, between a lot of the people. And I think... Uh, what was there was good. Like the conversation between was good, Jack but and Yaz was good, between Graham and the doctor was good. There were conversations between Ryan and the doctor. Yeah. The actual scene where Ryan and Graham leave. Leave. Yeah. Oh, um, that, was, that was hard. That was really good. The stuff with the Daleks I thought was interesting. Like all that was like suitably creepy. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And then bringing back the um, the character, what was his name? The the American oh, um, businessman, the Trump analog guy there to right. to to uh, something with an S, I don't remember to uh, bring him back and having yes. him get, oh that's the other thing that I, I felt like yeah like he's obviously supposed to be a cartoonishly terrible e- person evil villain yeah but why was he trying to make a deal with like what what was he thinking was he thinking that they're going to destroy the whole planet but they'll let me live and I'll get that's to live amongst thinking. the Daleks as their token human like why would he prefer that to his Existing, like, what was he, what did he think he was trading up for, right? right yeah. Like, wouldn't he be better served by what actually happened, which is the Daleks go away and he can claim that he's the big hero, right? Exactly. Why yeah. would he think he'd be better off with the Daleks destroying Earth? That right. didn't make any sense to me. Nope. It just seems like the thing you write if you're writing a cartoonish villain, right? Right, right. So again, it just seems like, oh, what a surprise that he's betraying them. But, but why is he doing it? It just seems like nobody really thought about the motivations that much. Right. Anyway, but I did enjoy it. Um, Star Trek Discovery... So we've got two episodes this week. So there's last week's episode, Sukal. Uh-huh. Um, and then this week's episode, There is a Tide. So I guess the two main things in this episode are the stuff that happens in the nebula, which is to say the character of Sukal, his hollow environment, and discovering the actual cause of the burn. Right. Um, and the characters that interact with him there, like the scenes between Michael and Sukal and Saru, human Saru and human Sukal, Saru. Sukal yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the stuff that happens on the ship, and especially in the second episode where they go to Federation headquarters, you get the stuff between Vance and Osira. Mm-hmm. The, the, that was the, tremendous. The diehard uh, Burnham being uh, John McClane, right, and retaking yes. the ship without any shoes. Um, <laughs> and an injury, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so the, the burn stuff, I mean... This is this is another thing that's been kind of contentious, right? Like, because all season, and this is their own fault, right? Because they hyped up the cause of the burn to be this big mystery for the season. So, of course, the fans are going to speculate what it was sure. and come up with all sorts of Byzantine theories sure. and make up their minds about whether it's a whether the burn is a smart idea or a dumb idea for for a setting before you even tell them, right? If you just say, okay, this is something happened a hundred years ago and nobody knows what it was and we're never going to explain it. Like, that's frustrating in its own way, but it's in some ways, like, also more realistic. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this thing happened generations ago. Nobody remembers why, but this is just the way the world is now, and we got to put it back together, right? Yep. But if you're going to set it up as this big mystery box, to use a J.J. Abrams term, then the re- then the, the, the resolution of it is always going to disappoint somebody. The people who want it to be a big villain plot are going to be disappointed if it's some natural cause, right? Right. The people who want it to be some scientific anomaly mm-hmm. or quirk mm-hmm. are going to be disappointed that it wasn't like, oh... Gul Dukat returned from the fire caves. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever, yep, right? Yep. So you're always going to disappoint somebody if you build it up for a whole season to be the big mystery. To me, it works fine. Like, it's not the greatest twist that I ever could have imagined, but I like it. Like, the mm-hmm. idea, and it seems very Star Trekky. you know? Like, there's this mutant, basically. Does it make any scientific sense? Probably not, but it makes Star Trek sense, right? Like, he was born... And grew up in this weird nebula with all sorts of weird radiation, super close to like this most concentrated source of dilithium that's ever existed. And the dilithium and the radiation interacted with the cells, yada, 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 question mark, question mark, question mark, profit, right? Yes. 
And it's sort of like he's like in tune with the harmonics of the dilithium in a way. So his emotional state creates like this shock wave of resonance yeah. that that propagates out from the neb- nebula. Like, does it make any sense? No, but it makes like Star Trek sense in the way that there's always some some like childlike god being yep. who's po- who doesn't understand his own powers and doesn't know how to deal with reality and throws tantrums and ends up causing destruction. That's a very Star Trekky thing. Yes, right? it is. Yeah. So I think it worked fine, and I think that he's he himself is an interesting character too, and I hope we'll see more of him in the finale. Mm-hmm. His interactions with Michael and the way Michael tries to reach him versus the way that Saru tries to reach yep. him; those are all really interesting. The idea of like a Again, like we're trapped on a holodeck and the holodeck safeties are off and nobody knows where we are. Like that's also a really Star Trek-y thing. Oh, but, sure. But they did cool different stuff with it here. Like the gravi- the way the gravity works, the way the program was like 120 years old. So everything was breaking down mm-hmm. and the characters were glitching and they didn't quite know. They weren't quite able to interact with the new visitors in the way that they should mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of like standing down their like defense protocols. Yes. Um, I thought all that was really interesting. Like that's a cool, that's a cool concept. I'm not sure if it's like the best way to to hinge an entire season of Star Trek on, especially once you've built it up to be this great mystery. But as a as a conceit for this episode and as a conceit for some big mysterious phenomenon in Star Trek. Like if this was a standalone episode of Next Gen, yes. where the Enterprise D came across some weird nebula where there's a there's a childlike being in there mm-hmm. who's been mutated and his emotional state is tied to some disaster that's about to happen to a nearby planet. Mm-hmm. That's super Star Trekky, right? Mm-hmm. But you build a whole season around it, people build it up in their minds, right? But to me, it worked. It worked just fine. How did you? How did you feel about that revelation? Um, I liked it. I did because, hmm. I mean, you covered all the points that I was going to make, so I don't really have that much to add. But the short story is that I'm in the camp of the people that like it because I think it's nice that it wasn't connected to Michael in any way. I think it's I nice like that. that it wasn't anybody's fault. I like it that it's kind of like this pseudoscience. Like, this child is an anomaly, and that's another Star Trekky thing, right? You meet this unique being in, uh, in a galaxy, multiple galaxies worth of unique beings, but you meet one that really defies anything and is really unique in their uniqueness that's super Star Trek-y because what do you do there and not only that but they need they desperately need help that they don't even know they need which is also a Star Trek-y premise so I really like it I like the heart of this episode I like that Suru is the one that has to be able to fix it because he's the one that can connect to this child um against their uh, against his own will too because he doesn't want to face his biggest fears he he's he's afraid um and he doesn't even know what he's afraid of, but even the, the ship's protocols changed Saru from looking like another Kelpian because they somehow, you know, spotted that the only well, Kelpians that should be on this holodeck program are the ones that are in yeah, the program. Yeah, I mean, people make the point, like, why did it need to change him into a human and then it changed humans into Bajorans and Trill? Like, but it's just, just because it's glitching. It's just yeah, because it's exactly, glitching. That's the exactly. only, there's no logic behind it. I did like, yeah, like, to your point, I did like that, because the, the, I think a lot of people thought, oh, God, please, don't let it be another thing where Michael is at the is the cause of everything that happened, right? Yes. Like, don't let, because it turned out that the Red Angel was connected, like, the Klingon yes. War was connected to her, the Red Angel was connected to her, not, Michael doesn't need to be the center of of everything that happens on the galactic importance right um and then when it's like oh they called it the burn and her name is burnham it's like it's like people are just dreading it they were just they they could feel it coming right so i'm glad it's not that i i would have been okay if it was like some villain plot Hmm. so long as the villain was interesting i what i did not want it to be was i didn't want it to be michael's fault somehow and I didn't want it to be that the Federation was secretly corrupt was and secretly they were like corrupt, some yeah. evil guy, like Vance yep. is secretly evil I got and my he two caused the burn. So yep. they're like, don't do that. But I didn't think they were I didn't think they were going to do that. 
because I felt like everything they've shown this season shows that thematically what they're trying to do is like Starfleet and the Federation, they're down, but they're not out. Right. Like they're still Starfleet. They're still the Federation. For them to twist it at the end and say, oh, it turns out they're super evil. That's, that I don't. Would, that didn't feel like what they were going. Some people for are this still season, holding so. their breath. But people even are traumatized after last episode, because of yeah. how many recent Star Trek shows have been like. Turns out there's a secretly evil admiral, or Starfleet is corrupt, like in Picard. Or this or AI in, is taking over people and yeah. making it. Yeah, like okay, season great. two, or even season one, when Cornwall was okay with destroying Kronos to end yes, the war. Or season exactly. two with Control in Section Thirty One, or Picard, where there's the secret Romulan admiral who does all the bad stuff, and now Starfleet and the Federation abandoned Romulus. Like people are tired of like, oh, Starfleet is actually not as good as you thought they were, right? Yep, like people. Up, sick of that uh, yeah. right mm-hmm. um but yeah i ideally i think it would have i would have liked it to either have had no explanation but there's no way that the right they would have been able to let that sit like that's just not the way modern tv is written if you set up something like that there's going to have to be some sort of clever answer to it yeah i would have rather it either been not answered at all or have been some interesting natural thing like it just it just happened right like right. nobody's fault it just happened this is as close to that as i think we're going to get where there's like a face you can put on it an interesting twist but it's still basically some random pseudo natural right. thing that happened yeah. yeah as far as the stuff on the ship i mean burnham and everybody and the bridge crew retaking and book retaking yep. the ship that was cool i like those scenes really tense you know um but to me that the meat of the second episode is the stuff with vance and osira in their little negotiating room there right i thought those scenes were fantastic and the the, the writing in there the way that i mean the directing you know jonathan frakes obviously did a great job directing it because it's basically like three i don't even know how long those scenes were they went by in a flash but they were probably like three five to ten minute scenes probably a little on the low end of that than the high end right um maybe like 10 15 minutes total of mm-hmm. scenes mm-hmm. but they they moved along and they're like it's hard to they're two people three if you count the hologram sitting in like a sterile white room yep. and chairs yep. most of the time um just talking to each other and you have to make that compelling but it's the writing and the performances and frakes is directing i mean i thought that I thought that it was great. The, the, the twist that Osira, I mean, the twist that we were talking about before when we talked about Osira, she seemed like she was a mustache-twirling villain who just wanted to enslave people and get all the power, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we learn that she feels like, oh, I just had to enslave people and get power so that I could protect my people, build the civilization, and now I'm bringing my civilization to you, Starfleet, in hopes that we can, like, join the Emerald Chain to the Federation yep. and pool our resources i've got all this scientific expertise you've been too harried trying to putting out fires everywhere to do much scientific research i can bring that back i've got this wealth of materiel and so on that i can bring and all these people that would benefit from being Mm -hmm. under the umbrella of the federation i'm willing to phase out slavery i'm willing to phase out all this stuff Mm -hmm. i only you know basically she really only had two concessions one was she wanted the federation to like be okay with capitalism mm. a little, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And her second concession, which Vance basically forced, or the second thing she was unwilling to concede on that Vance basically forced out of her at the end was she's unwilling to stand trial, even in a court of her own people, mm-hmm. for the crimes that she's committed. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, in, I mean, it's interesting, obviously, that she has these high-minded, and by having the, I thought it was a smart idea to have the sort of lie detector hologram there, because yeah. otherwise we're just going to spend the whole scene sitting there saying, well, she's making all this up. She's lying. She doesn't actually want it. It was brilliant. It's way bring, more interesting yep. if we have some impartial, basically like the narrator, mm-hmm. the writers saying, no, she is telling the truth, yes, right? Yes, Like that makes it way more interesting. And it's a cool twist for her character 
that she actually does care about the people that live in her civilization and she wants their lives to be better and she thinks that it's going to get worse now that they're running out of down right. them, so they're better to pool the resources. I love that she couched the discussion. My favorite part of, of that discussion, especially in the beginning, was how she couched it. She said, I'm not an idiot. I know that empires like mine fall. We need to evolve it or all of my work will be for nothing. And I thought that that was brilliant. Like, I don't, I'm not going... I'm not going into the history books as another empire that falls. I am evolving. I am trying to build something bigger that lasts. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought it was really like, as I don't know about you, but as I was watching those scenes, I'm like, oh, this is the final twist of the show. Mm. They're going to actually do this. They're going to make this agreement. And this will be the new status quo for season four is the right. Federation and Discovery having to navigate this new treaty with the status Chain. quo. Yep where they're in this uneasy alliance with criminals, basically, for, to try to like keep everybody alive. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's a really interesting setup for a new status quo for the show. And the way that it was presented, I'm like, there's a, there's, you feel, you don't feel great about it because you're like, capitalism, you know, like, listen, you know, we live in the 21st century, mm -hmm. whereas capitalistic as anybody else but for someone who grew up watching star trek once you're in the star trek mindset you're like no capitalism is as, as bad as genocide right <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> capitalism no it's like yeah. right in there with slavery it's as bad as slavery right like that's yeah. that's always been like the star trek attitude and that's hyperbolic but that's always been like no we've evolved past capitalism and material goods and the desire to accumulate wealth right like that's right. so it was like, oh, capitalism. But I, I mean, I guess on Deep Space Nine, they had capitalism. So they it's did. not that bad. Like the Federation right. is all, Starfleet has always been okay with their, the Federation has always been okay with utilizing the trappings of, of capitalism, which is basically to say exchanging some form of currency for goods and services so as to interact with other cultures mm -hmm. that still mm -hmm. have currency, right? right? Right, Like the way that everybody in Deep Space Nine, they would have to have some, it they was always unclear like how it worked and how they right. got them, but they would have some form of currency that they would use when they would go to Quark's Bar or bet right. on Dabo or whatever, right? Right. How did they get it? I don't Never know. Never really explained. Are they given sort of so, some sort of stipend by the Federation? Uh, but maybe, but then where, where did they get it? Did they replicate it? Like at some point it breaks down. You, yeah. You're not supposed to think about it too much. But I'm like, Capitalism, not great, but maybe like it's an interesting hook for the next season if right. the Federation has got to like lower themselves a little bit so that the Emerald Chain, like, because it raises all sorts of interesting questions. Like, yes, would this diminish the 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 shining example of the Federation? Yeah, but it's it's interesting. It's like, what if the Federation decides that not so much that they need the Emerald Chain to survive, although mm -hmm. one could argue that they. They kind of do, at least until I'm sure the season is going to end with Discovery coming back and saying, we discovered this whole planet of dilithium. Yeah. The shortage problem is solved, right? Well, We've got enough yeah. for everybody. Um, maybe it won't be quite that simple, but it really, really feels like that's where they're going. Um, now Starfleet gets to be the big hero to the whole universe, giving out dilithium free to everybody. And now they're right. back in everybody's good graces and Navarre and Trill, they all join up again, right? Yeah, yeah. Really feels like that's where they're going. If not in one episode, then over the course of the next season or two. Regardless... What if what if the Federation, Vance and whoever this Federation president is, if they even exist? Right, right. Um, there's all sorts of theories that that Vance is like running this, running the Federation basically as a military milita military dictatorship, not in an evil way, mm -hmm. but just in the way like maybe something happened to the Federation president and we can't let anybody know because I'm holding this thing together by, <laughs> by my teeth, right? Right, right. Um, what if he's like, it's not so much that we need the Emerald Chain, but there's, but she's right. There's, there's billions of people living in the Emerald Chain territory mm -hmm. and their lives are about to get a whole lot worse when they run out of dilithium. 
and we can help them, right? Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. if we're struggling ourselves, it's like the opposite of the of the conceit for Picard, where the where the Federation said, "We've got too many of our own problems. We can't afford to help you, Romulus, anymore." Right? Yeah. Here, the Federation would say, "We've got a lot of problems of our own, but we can't, in all good conscience, let the Emerald Chain citizens suffer." So we're going to enter into this agreement that we're not super. We don't feel great about, Mm -hmm. but it's the best way to end more suffering by ending the shooting war Mm -hmm. between us and the Emerald Chain and help the people that live in their territory with what meager resources we have. And maybe by pooling our heads with their scientific know-how with, you know, Kenneth Mitchell's character there and and people like him, we'll be able to devise some method of other better, faster than light travel or or find more dilithium or replicate it or something. Who knows, right? Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. would have been an interesting concession on their part. Like we're willing to take the hit to our resources, to our to our moral standing even by allowing capitalism and and basically granting amnesty to slavers and criminals, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To help the people who don't care about that stuff and just want to put food on the table, mm-hmm. right? I thought that would have been interesting. And maybe they will still go that way. If I had to guess, and this seems super obvious, but sometimes they do the obvious thing. Alcira is killed in some big battle with Burnham. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Mitchell's character, Aurelius, I think his name was, um, yes, because I mean, I really feel like this is too obvious. Because, because by Vance, the way, can we talk about Kevin Mitchell? Well, we we will, but Kenneth, Kenneth, Mitchell. Kenneth Mitchell. We will, sorry. but but I feel like the reason why the only reason why I think this is going to happen is because Vance basically said, "Oh, what what I would like is for you to do this, this, and this." And if that's what actually ends up happening, it would feel like that's so obvious. But Vance even said, "You step aside. We put." A, a less controversial figure in your place, maybe a prominent scientist. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, do you mean the prominent scientist that's just been introduced in the previous scene? Yeah. Like, that would seem so on the nose, but maybe. I mean, the obvious by-the-numbers thing to happen would be Osira dies in some shootout with Burnham. Mm. Aurelius, who has now had the scales fall from his eyes yes. and discovered that Osira wasn't... He clearly cares about people. He has his own family. He cares about all the high-minded things like scientific achievement and so on like that. Yep. And now he's not quite as uppity anymore because he sees that you know she did bad things and now he's got to atone for them yes, right and his yes. his role in them so he becomes the new standard bearer of the emerald chain and they enter into some if not the word for word the agreement that osiro is proposing some amended version of that with him as the new face of it mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. that's the super obvious way to go yeah, right and you yeah. still get that interesting thing where next season you've got this really tenuous alliance yep but you've got the, the more problematic villainous character out of the picture. So now we feel a bit better about it, right? Right. That's the super obvious way to go. Are they going to go that way? I mean, I, I would kind of like them to go that way because that seems like the best possible ending yeah, for everybody. Yeah, I think so. But the fact that they telegraphed it so much by Vance saying, maybe you have some sort of prominent, well-respected scientist who could take your place. It's like, why would you write that line in there if that's what you're going to do? Because no. You- she was the one that said the scientist. <sighs> I can't remember, but it, I don't know. It does because she agreed to it, and Vance said that it, he has to or she has to be uh, with no allo- yeah. uh, no allegiance to you. You're not pulling the strings on this, and she says, "Oh, definitely." And that's when Eli, the lie detector, was like, um, "Oh, she's lying," because of course she yeah, wants because she his, had her own figure. He was going to be a puppet for her, yeah. right? And she's like, yeah, no, maybe, I'm ready for that one. Ask I, I don't me know. again. It, just, it, felt, it feels too obvious, regardless of how it was actually like the dialogue broke down. It, it does feel a little too obvious to me, but it would be satisfying if that happened. I feel like that's she kind of deserves to get what's coming to her and, and Aurelius kind of deserves a win. Yes. And, and it would be nice. It'd be a new, interesting status quo, especially yeah. if, if, the, if, you know, Discovery comes back with, with a way to get, you know, 
get all the dilithium from that planet mm-hmm. if they can say okay now we now we the federation have this basically inexhaustible source of dilithium because you can power a ship with like a chunk the size of your fist basically yes. right and there's a lot of ships out there but there's not trillions of ships there's mm-hmm. like thousands tens of thousands of ships a planet would be enough to keep the galaxy going for decades if not centuries mm-hmm. right and well well enough time to discover some other new form of travel or find another dilithium planet or whatever now that they know that this is a the thing they've got to solve asap mm-hmm. lest another burn or similar event happen they i feel like that would basically be enough to take that off the table as like a major like sort of damocles hanging uh, hanging over their head mm-hmm. so i really feel like if the federation can come to the galaxy and say look we've got the, not only do we know what caused the burn and we can finally allay everybody's fears especially yours navar that you caused it yep and we've got all this dilithium dilithium is free for everybody we're gonna we're gonna put this planet in the nebula in like a protective mm-hmm. zone where we're going to like oversee it and administrate it but anybody can come in and take all the dilithium they want and now we've got this peaceful arrangement with the emerald chain so we're going to use their manpower to help police things yep. and make sure that nobody you know what i mean like yep. that would almost seem like too good to be true that maybe there's there's going to be some twist you know yes i mean both the previous seasons ended with the main threat dispatched but then some last minute twist twist to make us want to see the next episode season one it was like the war is over but the enterprise is here Ooh, the end we're gonna see the enterprise season two was like control is destroyed but we've all got to go into the future right Mm -hmm. so i feel like here it would be the emerald chain is no longer a threat either because we blow them all up or because we make a deal with them right but but then there has to be a there's got to be a but there's got to be some sort of twist Mm mm-hmm I don't know what that is, but it really feels like there's got to be something, you know? So yeah, yeah. so maybe the ending itself will be exactly what we think it will be, but then the surprise will come in whatever that twist is. Right, you know? right. I don't mm. know. We'll see. I yeah. can't really add to that. I think you covered all the bases. Now, can we talk about Kenneth Mitchell? Yeah. So for people who don't know, Kenneth Mitchell, I, I hope I'm getting his character's name right. I'm almost certain it was really is, yeah. Um, was an actor that played several Klingon characters in the first couple of seasons. Most recently, he played the sort of albino Klingon who was um, Vok's son. Yes. Who, who sort of counseled Pike when he went back to uh, Borath, the Klingon monastery planet, and interacted with the time crystals mm-hmm. and saw his ultimate fate in the BP chair, right? Yes, yes. Um, Such a good uh, episode. Has so developed good. ALS. Mm-hmm. So he can no longer walk, at least for very long periods of time, unaided, right? Right. Um but he's a part, like, he was there from the beginning. He was in season one, some of the earliest episodes, maybe even the first, I don't think he was in the first episode, but he was definitely there in, in multiple episodes of season one. He's sort of part of the the family of the show. Exactly. You know? I want to say that um, he's more than just an actor. He's more than just a beloved character actor. He really is, like, a compassionate and lo- well-loved member of the family before he even got ALS. Yeah. So they wanted to bring him back in some way, yeah. but it had to be, basically, it had to be a role like this. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be an action-y role or even the role that required a lot of time in the makeup chair or something like that because yep. it just wouldn't have been practical. Right. So they found a way to work him in here. And what's lovely about it is it feel, feels like, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious this character was written for him because he even yes. has dialogue which speaks to his real world predicament where he's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to live. I had mm-hmm. this thing, you know, mm-hmm. I was my, I thought my days were numbered, but then, you know, I was saved and I had, I've, I've got this family and what would they do without me and all this, like, you know, like mm-hmm. the, he's speaking about it. He's talking about it's himself parallels, there. You know sure. what I mean? Like yeah. he's, for an actor, I, think, I don't know if that's easier or harder, but it's something, I think that he actually right? does have three kids too. Like I even think I that they wrote that, that in. I'm not sure, but I, I, I think that that's true. But uh, but yeah, so it was lovely that they had him in there. And, and again, like I don't know, I don't know 
I know hardly anything about ALS. I don't know how progressive it is and how rapidly. If he does end up becoming the new head of the Emerald Chain, it would kind of feel like it would be nice to have him recur mm-hmm. next season. Mm-hmm. I don't know how realistic that is, like how, how taxing it is for him to do this. If he if right. this was just like a one-off way to say goodbye to him mm-hmm. from the show. Or if they, this is a setup for him to appear as often as he feels like he can, mm-hmm. you know, a couple mm-hmm. of times a season or something. That would be nice, but I just don't know how practical that is if he's up to it or if he wants to or or whatever right. or if they even intend to go that direction with his character but either way if this is just if this is a way of like saying goodbye to his to him as a, right. not that he's going to die tomorrow but like this is the end of his involvement with the show right i feel like it's a really nice it's a grace really note deep ca- on his in contribution. one episode they've gotten us to know this character and care about this character and i love that stamets was part of that too because they don't really use stamets well, that's perfect. very often well that's yeah. perfect i mean i think I, that's great too it's perfect because they're basically the same like they're they're mm-hmm. scientist characters who have at times have kind of lost lost sight of the human element you know the cost that yes. their experiments take on yeah. like stamets that's always been his tension right especially in season one where he wanted he was a scientist he wants to learn more about the mycelial network but at the same time it was being used by the federation to wage war against the klingons yeah. right and as a scientist he didn't really want any part of that um and here's someone who's who to his eyes has kind of sold his soul to be part of the emerald chain but it's not really his fault because he didn't really know he, right all the evils, or or did he just not want it's like osiris says to him at the end when he wants to stay on the bridge because now he kind of suspicious that she's actually actually secretly evil well and that she's was like, after his conversation with samus everybody's yes, reading it your but, way but, but he I, wants he wants to stay and see it because now he thinks that there maybe she's not all she cracked up to be um, and he, ba- she basically has a line to him, which is like, oh, you know, you've always just seen what you wanted to see. Or like, you never wanted to know what I was really doing to, mm. to accomplish all of this stuff. You only wanted, all you cared about was that I was funding your experiments and giving you a comfortable life and providing for you and your family. You never really wanted to think too much about where all that was coming where all from. that was coming from. Mm. Right. But now and is, by spending I mean, five minutes talking to Stan, yes, it's a little seriously. quick, but now he's beginning to question, you know, all the assumptions that he has. See, I... <sighs> I'm not reading it as uh, as Osira did because I think that, and I don't even remember her saying that. I thought it was just a one-off comment, like, "Okay, well, this is the part that you never want to see or never did see." Yeah, it was I when she remember. had it was when she had a yeah, gun yeah, to yeah. Rin's head. She's like, "This yeah. is the way this stuff works." And if right. you didn't think this was how it worked, then you were deluding yourself. You know, right, she was right. basically pretty blunt with him there because I think she she thinks she's she's got him on a pretty tight leash. And it's not that I think that he's going to like get up out of that chair and shoot her, right? Right. But I think she thinks that you know he's loyal to me, like. I've done so much for him. He's not going to, you know. He's not going to kick anything he up. Might yeah. feel, he might feel he, a little queasy about this, but he's going to go back to, you know, to the being way he my was pet, before. Yeah. But I don't think that's true. I think maybe we're going to see in the finale that he gives Starfleet some crucial piece of information that lets them defeat her or something like that. Or, or he, he betrays becomes, her in a very small but meaningful way. You for know? example, oh man, how about this for a twist? Aurelius is the one that's seated as the figurehead for the Emerald Chain as allied with the Federation. But the secret, the twist is that he actually charges Osira for her crimes. I don't think she's going to survive. Ooh. I think that she's going to die. I think I don't think, think they so? can resist. Yeah. I don't know. May I could see them taking her off to prison, but I feel like she's kind of she's like a she feels if she feels like a one well, season one and done. She literally could be an S tier villain. Like mm. th- this is the beginning of of some good she complexity. Feels, she feels like a one and done to me cuz when mm. she goes off to jail, where do you go from? The only way to go f- with her from there is that she breaks out of jail and does more evil things. She's not going to break out of jail and be a good guy. No. So at that point you've kind of made her less interesting. She's more true. interesting when she has all this power, power and she's yeah. trying to use it for ultimately good things. When she doesn't have any power anymore and she's just like a deposed 
slaver that's right. less interesting to yeah. me and so it's like the ducat thing like you kind of want them to have the when they don't have those shades of gray anymore when they've lost everything and they're just trying to get somebody got evil means then they're just yeah. yeah okay yeah but we'll see yeah i'm excited i i love aurelius's character and uh i really love kenneth uh kenneth mitchell even i'm sorry if how I close can't get how it. close did you come to saying kenneth brana just now no <laughs> i was i was um trying to not say kevin or uh kenny or something equally dumb um because dyslexia is a thing everybody i really can't retain names all that well so the fact that i remember his name as well as i do is um a testament to how much i really like this person and um how much i wish him well so oh man he's such a good actor he really is just freaking wonderful um so i look forward to seeing what happens with his character there and i'm so happy that the star trek family wove him into the text here because he really is one of the most awesome things about that show and in terms of representation we didn't even talk about this like they are really expanding the world the universe the galaxy for to be really more inclusive right because this is the first person i've seen since pike in that beep boop chair that doesn't seem ridiculous you know what i mean like who has a disability and not just dis disfigurement. I mean like a disability. Apparently there was an earlier, there there have been some, there's a character in the background of Discovery who's in like some future wheelchair. Mm. Okay. So that's something. This is someone who does not, does not have the use of their legs and is apparently still in Starfleet. There's been someone well, in the cool. background of a couple of shots in Discovery apparently. So that, I remember people pointing that out. Um. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And obviously there's history, to... of, there's history of blind people in Starfleet, obviously, you know, so, and people with oh, right, yeah. cybernetic augmentation for lost limbs or eyes right. and all sorts of various things yeah so, but i think it hits home because it's more of like yeah like you wear a future thing on your eyes or or you've got a cyborg arm or whatever those feel like obviously blindness is a real thing that happens right. but it's like those feel like future detached whereas mm -hmm. a guy a guy who we the audience plus we know that lavar lavar burton isn't blind right so there's kind that of like too. a detachment as an audience we the audience if we recognize who this actor is know that he actually has this thing happening to him in real life so yes. it feels a bit more immediate and relevant mm -hmm. than it does when we see lavar burton wearing a woman's hairband over his eyes right? right but nobody prominent nobody has had lines yet who was actually like confined to a wheelchair for example i'm just i'm just i'm beep just is, saying beep like, is a line beep is <laughs> yeah, when no. delivered in sequence it's a line yeah well delivered in short beeps and long beeps it can be full sentences if you know how to read the code anyway um that's you you understand my point i think that it's really nice for for that and i think that hmm i just think that it's wonderful and i think that he's a great actor and i really like the storyline with him and i really look forward to Seeing next episode. I'm very, very excited. I wish it were here. <laughs> um, how many more days as we record this? It's two, two, days. More days. two days. Yes. All right. That's not long at all. Okay. Are we done? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a wrap on this episode. Okay. So if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. Oh, come on. You've already used it a couple times in this episode. Beep. That's right. 